president of the San Francisco Labor Council, Mike Casey. I saw him yesterday, chained up, walking the streets, doing all he could to really lock it down. Labor really played an instrumental part there. So always keep in mind, managers come and go, but the UAW, we the consistent force that's gonna always drive this bus forward. I think management is always going to try to get as much work as possible from us at the lowest cost. It's kind of their job to, to squeeze us. But you know, unfortunately, sometimes that squeeze creates a poor quality education and really worsen students' learning conditions. So as it's a Rob, what if we do the simple Google form, pop it up on a Google map, every single strike in, at the time, the United Kingdom. There's a big uh, Friday drinks culture at my office. I'm not keen on it, and I've recently been not going, but I do feel like I'm missing out on work. Talk about clients. It's the first week of December, and you're listening to the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly, and this is Patrick Dixon hosting for you today. On today's show, we're going to start with the Green and Red podcast. You may remember seeing news of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meeting in San Francisco a couple of weeks back. That's the one where President Biden graciously described Chinese guest Xi Jinping as a dictator. The convening was not entirely marked by diplomatic niceties, though. Will Wilchko reports back to host Scott Parkin about some of the protests that surrounded the event and what APEC means for Labour. United Auto Workers and Portland Educators strikes may have reached a conclusion, but the work of union members continues in both Michigan and Oregon. On the UAW Local 1700 podcast, a roundtable of members discussed some of the issues raised when Juliana Quayla, Salantis's global head of production way, visited the plant in Warren. On working to live in southwest Washington, Harold checks in with Marge Hogan, the vice president of the Evergreen Education Association, and Michael Sanchez, the vice president of the Camus Education Association, who described what striking meant for both members and students. We're going to bring you a cut from the latest Union Dues podcast in the United Kingdom, that grey and rainy island in the northeast Atlantic that used to have a queen. Simon Sapper is joined by Rob Poole and Henry Fowler, the creators of StrikeMap, a highly popular new tool created by trade unionists, which Simon describes as a slam-dunk success, which means the same thing both sides of the pond. Finally, can you imagine a scenario where you finish work and you really don't want to go to the bar with your co-workers because you don't drink or you don't feel like drinking and you just want to go home? But you feel like if you don't go, you're going to miss out on important discussions that are taking place concerning clients. That's the dilemma faced by one of Auckland Union representative Justine Sachs's respondents this week on Red or Dead Redemption. So with an abundance of excitement that I can now tell you, here's this week's show. Welcome to Green and Red. Scrappy politics for scrappy people a regular podcast on radical, environmental, and anti-capitalist politics. Brought to you by Bob Pazanko and Scott Parkin. Welcome to the Silky Smooth Sounds of the Green and Red Podcast. I'm your co-host, Scott Parkin, in Berkeley, California. We're doing a little bit of a follow-up story for an episode we had come out a couple weeks ago. Today, I'm joined once again by Will Wilchko, who is the director of the California Trade Justice Coalition, and we're going to be talking about the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, which happened this week. Thanks for having me, Scott. Oh, yeah. And so this week in San Francisco, we've seen, we've seen as predicted, APEC 
hosted a heads of state and CEO summit. Uh, it was met with a lot of protests, the war on the civilian population in Gaza actually really fueled the protest as Joe Biden was in town. But we also saw a lot of protest around the around Xi Jinping, who's the leader in China, visiting here a lot of anti-China groups, anti-Chinese government groups. There's also a good contingent of pro-China groups. But maybe you can just start off with telling us how things have gone this week so far, as far as protests go and other events. Yeah, things have gone really well. There were a lot of, there have been a lot of fantastic actions that have been happening. Yesterday was really remarkable. We shut down multiple streets and basically made APEC negotiators and other diplomats, other world leaders have to take different routes, turn around, delay it a little bit. And that, that was really nice to see how we sent the message. And maybe, I think maybe we talked about this in the, the last time we talked a couple of weeks ago, but maybe there's a, it was a pretty sizable coalition, I believe of over 200 groups at last count that I'd heard called the NOTA APEC coalition. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, that coalition? It's a, it was a very diverse coalition, wide spectrum of different political, from different political homes. Uh, maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there was a, as you said, a remarkable coalition of organizations that came together. There's the NOTA APEC coalition, which I think had about 150 organizations in it. And then there was also Bay Climate Action, which was more climate focused. And so altogether, there were over 200 organizations that cared and wanted to do, make their voices heard around uh, APEC. And the NOTA APEC coalition itself is, is very diverse. There are a lot of different groups, especially groups who care about what's been happening in the Philippines with regards to labor rights, with regards to how the government treats people. It's been really a remarkable kind of cross-sector uh, coalition that's formed, and hopefully the organizing continues into the future on, on these issues. But a lot of people came together around this, and it's something that is absolutely inspiring to see, but also something that I think shows how much people really want to be heard by their governments. Yeah, and I've referred to this more than once as a movement of movement sort of moment, which is hearkening back to the days of the World Trade Organization protests in 1999, where we saw Teamsters and Turtles. And just to dig into that a little bit, because labor is can often, even though they're on the left, can be a more conservative institution, really leaned into some of what was happening this week. And why did who, who from labor did we see leaning in and how did they lean in? We saw a lot of great labor unions like SEIU was out there, it was Local 1021, and then the San Francisco Labor Council as well really played a key part in all of this. The president of the San Francisco Labor Council, Mike Casey, I saw him yesterday chained up, blocking the streets, doing all he could to really lock it down. And so that really speaks to how broad this movement is and how many different organizations are coming together. But labor really played an instrumental part in this. And they also had a, a follow-up kind of action on saying no to APEC later that day with the head of the San Francisco Labor Council and Alameda Labor Council and all the Bay Area Labor Councils speaking out against APEC and speaking out against how high CEOs pay is versus working people and also talking about the digital trade angle as well, which is something that is really going to be a key feature at APEC. Like these big tech companies were trying to put their own rules into trade policies. And we beat that back. You've been listening to Will Wilchko and I talking about the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit that happened in San Francisco this week. 
and all the politics and movement work and everything else that happened there. And we there's been a lot of misbehaving in the world and we wanna shout out to all those folks and encourage everyone else to keep on misbehaving or join it or whatever it is you need to do. We'll talk to you again soon. Local 1700 brothers and sisters. Hey, we back at it again. We back on the podcast. I got a full house again, different group of people. Um, we're going to jump right into it today. Got our shop chair, Theron. Theron, Big Sauce. What's up, Ron? What up, though? Chassis gang in the building. Okay. Then we got the other committee, all the committee, all the committee. We full house today. Um, we are missing our uh, Big Chuck. Out of materials, he had some things he had to attend to real quick. I think he had to run back to the plant because he had some issues there. But we got Desi, uh, what they call Pitbull in the skirt. What up, what up, Trim Shop? Brother Rick Odom, 1700. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Representing body and paint, north and south. Y'all know what time it is. All right. And J-Mac, my main man, J-Mac. What's going on? Represent from the West Side Quality Final and Tools. Right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. The West Side. All right. So just for the record, I am from the East Side originally. From the East Side, now I'm a suburban. I, you know, just let y'all know that. Just for the record. Oh, well, <laughs> put that out there. I want to get into what you know. What's going on currently today? Last week. They had a, a visit, uh, 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 call him a big shot, I guess, or somebody high-ranking high in, in the Stellantis organization visiting the plant. Um, I think her name was Juliana. Juliana, correct. Juliana. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, she was on the floor visiting quite a few areas. And what she saw as far as first hell, the overall cleanliness was not very good. And that's not on us. It's not on us. So for y'all go there, I'm just telling you what she saw. The overall cleanliness of the, of the plant was not so good. And what she also saw was the processes and procedures are not being adhered to, thus contributing to the overflow of vehicles out in the yard as far as repairs is concerned. Um, uh, before I ask the guys what they think about her visit and what they've heard, I just remember a time where the direction came, and this was before Stellantis, that we were supposed to be hospital clean. The floors are all painted white. It was a major push, no matter what, to keep them floors white. And I can't see a speck of white paint on the floor at all in the whole facility now. What's your thoughts on her visit? So, Mike, if you don't mind me stepping in, I have the uh, largest area. And everyone knowing Trim Shop, we cleaned on a regular basis, but that depended on who the center manager was. You know, the shop. It is. It's disgusting. And a lot of people want to come to a clean environment, especially if you leave at home, leaving a clean environment. It makes a big difference when you at work. So, yeah, it, it's filthy. It's filthy. And we didn't used to have that. We cleaned on a regular. We've been asking them to clean. We've been asking them for shop vacs. So I don't want the membership to think that we haven't been because trim chassis and final never looked like it looked ever. So, yeah, I heard she was very disappointed, and she should be, at the quality and the cleanliness and everything else that's in there. So when you talk about, you know, you, you ask, can they come in and clean? I need the membership to understand this part. 
not just asking and fighting for you to come in and clean. The resistance is not about the cleaning. The resisting is being able to spend the money to the pay budget. people, yes, right. which will be you guys, to come in and clean. That's what management is resisting. That's what came up to Stellantis. Because mm-hmm. Stellantis is the one that got tightwad. When I say tightwad, tightwad on the money where they didn't want to pay for people to come in and clean their plants. They didn't want to pay for people or for a company to come in and clean their parking lots. They don't want to pay for it. Hell, you almost got to get a, 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 a three-signature approval to order an ink pen or what is it in the copy room, the toner that we, we yes. want. We also, too, um, uh, have to think about, too, that this is our house, and we're responsible for it. When I used to be a TL back on the door line back in 06, don't, don't say nothing, Ron. Don't, don't say one word about the dinosaur. <laughs> don't, don't even do it. But I would go down the line and just had a magnet and picking up bolts and different things. And we kept our areas tight. We just took pride in what we do. A lot of things we can't wait on management to do for us. We got to take charge and do it ourselves because they're not going to do it. If it comes time for them to do something to you, oh, they right on it. But if it's time to do something for you, they just not going to do it. So we have to do it for ourselves. So that's our house. Always keep in mind, managers come and go. But the UAW, we the consistent force that's going to always drive this bus forward. So we have to be the ones to go out there and take the ownership and drive those changes that we're looking for. But we can't sit back and wait for them to give it to us because they just not going to do it. Holidays and solidarity, that's where we at. We're going to keep winning. Solidarity. Deuces. 1700. Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. Oh, man, you are going to take my job. You're ready to do car ads. Listen oh, to that Oh, here we voice. go. Give me the money. Bring on the money. Well, hell, then there's nothing else to do but say you're listening to episode 39 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network with over 200 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Harold Phillips. We know how much students and their parents love and support our public school educators. We saw evidence of that back in September when members of the Evergreen Education Association and the Camus Education Association went on strike at the same time. Those two unions didn't just get support from labor organizations like the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council and fellow union members. They got support from parents and students throughout those strikes. Now, the strikes are over, and at the time of this recording, our brothers, sisters, and siblings in the Portland Association of Teachers are on strike across the river in Oregon. So, We wanted to dig a little deeper into the issues our Southwest Washington educators struck over, what it was like to be on strike, and what they won, not just for the members of the union, but for their students. To talk with us about that, we're joined by language arts teacher and Evergreen Education Association Vice President Marge Hogan. Thanks so much for being here, Marge. Hi, thanks for having us. And music teacher and... Camus Education Association Vice President Michael Sanchez. Welcome, Michael. Hey, thank you so much, Harold. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Marge, Michael, these strikes happened at the same time. Were the issues that your union struck over similar? We went on strike for three main reasons. 
we went on strike for class sizes. We need manageable class sizes for our students to learn in so that our members can appropriately and effectively attend to their students. We struck over support for library, music, PE, and health programs, which were pretty severely underfunded if they were funded at all. And then um, we struck over educator compensation. This wasn't a salary bargain for us. We wanted to maintain our previous contract language around salary and then to really make some wins for being able to differentiate instruction and serve those students who need it the most. Those were some key issues for us. And it was really uh, frustrating. You know, I think management is always going to try to get as much work as possible from us at the lowest cost. It's kind of their job to to squeeze us. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that squeeze creates a poor quality education and really worsens students' learning conditions. We know that management in our districts in our region are colluding, in many cases, using the same law firm, you know, to help write their contract language that they bring to the table. You know, Harold, the way it's set up for us in this Southwest Washington region is we have what's called a Uniserve director. Um, we share one. Her name is Lisa Rain. She's absolutely fabulous. She's basically support from WEA, or the Washington Education Association, and she helps us all throughout the year with things like contract negotiations, if there are grievances that we need to file on behalf of our members, all that sort of support, just the things that it takes to run a union. So Lisa worked on both of these contract negotiations, and as we started getting closer to the time we actually went on strike, she just kept both of us informed, like, look, folks, things are kind of not going great. But we never planned things together. We didn't say, OK, we're going on strike on this date and you're going on strike in the next date. It was just more of, hey, you know, here's the temperature in Evergreen. Here's the temperature in Camas. Even though we went on strike for similar reasons, the nuts and bolts, the inner workings of that are pretty different because the contracts are different and management's different. As Michael said, when EEA and CEA went out on strike, they were fighting for our kids. They were fighting to make a difference in their educational experience. And when you think about it, that's the case in a lot of the strikes that are going on right now. Whether you talk about Starbucks workers, or REI workers, or nurses at Kaiser. Yes, they want a living wage. They want to be able to live in the places where they work. But more importantly, they want to have enough staffing and enough support so that they can give their customers, their patients, their students, in the case of these educators, the best experience possible. So when you drive by and see somebody out on a picket line, when you hear about somebody going out on strike, don't just think about what they're getting out of it. Think about what you, as the customer, as the patient, as the parent, are getting out of it. As Michael and Marge both said, so often it's not about the money. Yes, they need to be able to afford to live, but it's about being able to do their jobs to the best degree possible. They're doing it for you. We'll see you soon. Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. The UK's only 
All Things Union show. Carefully curated for your digital, downloadable listening pleasure. StrikeMap is undoubtedly a slam-dunk success story. The brainchild of Rob Poole and Henry Fowler, it is a real-time online map showing industrial action. How many are involved? Who's the employer? When did it start? When will it start? Where's it taking place? The value of this is so obvious that it's amazing no one thought of it before. And that's exactly what Rob and Henry thought when they set up the project in 2020. Now, over 230,000 strike actions have been mapped and strike maps data is sought out by journalists, academics and researchers. But how did it all start? What is the story of Robin Henry's journey that led them to Strike Map? Rob Henry, you're very welcome to Union Juice. Thanks so much for taking time to join us for this episode. So I said to Rob, what if we do the simple Google form, pop it up on a Google map, every single strike in at the time, the United Brilliant. Kingdom. Brilliant. And Rob, Rob, I think Rob's response was, yeah, why isn't someone kind of like doing that? Why is that not happening? It's not like the most creative idea really you think like other organizations maybe with the resources would do it and so then we started collecting in some strikes it was just a free wordpress site we just plugged it all in and it, it just kind of from our launch we got a little bit of traction again robert built some good contacts with some different parliamentarians we had some good contacts with the union movement and it just started to build and then a few people shared it and then it just went like overnight just really started to grow around that December period. Bear in mind, there's probably 50 strikes, I think, in the first year that we actually documented. So there would have only been three or four on there. I remember Prospect being one of them, and it was air traffic control on off some part of the Scottish island, yep. some part of Scottish air traffic control. So, you know, quite niche strikes were on our map. It was pretty empty, actually. It was showing the lack of action. And that's when we came up with the aims that we have for the site now, which we try and instill in all of our work. But that that was kind of it, really. And then more and more people wanted to talk to us about it, you know, established people in the labour movement. But yeah, it's one of those things where everyone agrees it was a good idea, but why didn't we do it? And then... Over time, through fantastic individual donations, fantastic trade councils, trade union branches, and even national unions donating money, we've taken a pretty rubbish WordPress website with a Google map that just showed the points to now a searchable postcode-based map that, as of this week, has launched the ability to host campaigns. And at the moment, is is showcasing the Workers in Palestine campaign and all the different unions that have signed up to support that statement as part of that. So... It really has in three years moved quickly and we've gone to 230,000 workplaces and beyond that now taking action from the 51 that we started wow. with in that first year. And it's it, it important to say that me and Rob are always clear on this. It reflects the struggle and the movement. Yeah. It's just a reflection. It's a mirror to the struggle that's happening. And you can see that with the usage of our site, despite you know the, the ongoing promotion we do of it, it's most useful in times of intense struggle so when there is a big strike rmt as left cwu bma you'll see a huge increase yeah. of traffic on our site and in between that is not used as much but that doesn't bother us that is the nature of the tool
You've been listening to the Union Jews podcast, presented by me, Simon Sapper, music by Scott Holmes, a Makes You Think production. You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. No guards, no masters, only helpful advice. It's Red Dead Redemption with Auckland Union representative Justine Sachs. Kia ora Justine, how are you this morning? Morning Rachel, I'm good, and you? Good, thank you, it's always great to chat with you and we've got some uh, listener questions that have been coming in this morning and across the last week to get stuck into. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, We've got someone who's... Uh, said we've had we've had variations on this theme before, so I can guess what you're going to say, actually, Justine. But we've had someone who said there's a big uh, Friday drinks culture at my office. I'm not keen on it, and I've recently been not going, but I do feel like I'm missing out on work. Talk about clients. Uh, is there a way that you would suggest for me to keep to ask to be kept in the loop for stuff that they're discussing at these after hour drinks? Yeah, we have so we have had variations of these questions before, and it is a tough one because it's it you know it's true that so much of that networking um, happens in these kind of less formal spaces with alcohol involved, and it's not accessible and it's not inclusive for people who don't drink or you know for whatever you know people have you know, like there's a whole variety of reasons why people might not be comfortable in those totally. spaces. Totally. Um, I, I my my advice is is to to bring it up along those lines. You know, like uh, about accessibility and inclusivity, it is important that people who aren't able to be in those spaces are able to participate. And I don't think there's anything wrong with putting that to um, your boss or your employer or who or a trusted senior person. Yeah, mm. uh, I think it's worthwhile having that conversation. If you don't feel like there's anybody you can have that conversation with, is there someone attending who can you know you can actually just tap on the shoulder and say, "Hey, can you keep me in the loop? I'm not necessarily keen on being in that space, but." I don't want to miss out. I'm sure, you know, I, w- I would hope that people would be empathetic and would, you know, want to to, to help you. So I, yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough one. And I, I think, I really think employers need to be more cognizant of this mm. because it's just not like, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of retrograde, right? It's a bit mad men yeah. vibe. <laughs> yeah, we've got, to, we've got to find other ways to, to yeah, have exactly. these casual environments without necessarily exactly. making people without uncomfortable. Alcohol. Yeah, like we're constantly only having alcohol, right? Like having that be like the centre of it. Um, and I think, but I think you should feel, you should feel like empowered to have that conversation because mm. you're not the only one who feels that. As as we just talked about, we get this, we actually get this, this question quite consistently. It's a, it's like I would say a running theme. Yeah, and I think a lot of people feel that way. So it's about people actually making that known, um, and creating alternative spaces. So I don't know whether it's like. You know, every like there's, you know, you come up with an alternative. Like once in a while, we do something like this is where we'll have, you know, what I, I don't know. Have a think about it. Be creative. Like maybe look, like look at something else that you know, a different space that we, where like we could have similar, you know, similar conversations are going to happen. But um, yeah, otherwise, I, I just do think you know, feel confident in bringing that up. Um, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure you're not the only one who feels that way. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Justine. Wise advice as always. Red Dead Redemption with Auckland Union representative Justine Sachs. We've reached the end of this edition of the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly, our weekly roundup of highlights from the many shows that make up the Labour Radio Podcast Network. 
You can find full versions of all of the podcasts you've heard today in the show notes and many, many others at labourradionetwork.org. You can follow us on social media at Labour Radio Pod on Facebook, Instagram and X. You know, I read the Walter Isaacson Musk biography a few months back and learned that essentially Musk believes that everything sounds cooler when it has X in the title. I'm not in marketing, but this seems like a fairly rudimentary analysis. I haven't really spoken to Chris or Harold about this, but I'm not convinced by this argument. And so for now, this show remains the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly. It was produced by Chris Garlock, social media by Harold Phillips, and I've been your host, Patrick Dixon. Hope to see you next time for our special tribute to the life and works of Henry Kissinger.